I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. Allagash Brewing Company are based in the beautiful state of Maine in the northeast of America. They're proud members of the Portland community there, using local producers for many of their ingredients and giving back to that community through various charitable programs, all centered around beer. But Belgium has as much of a place in their heart as Maine does. They're one of the few breweries outside Belgium to produce spontaneously fermented beer using the same techniques as the Lambic brewers of the Senna Valley and Poyotenland. A cool ship, time and wood, and blending expertise. The first beer they produced was a Belgian-style wit, and the Allagash White remains the brewery's flagship beer. They are regular visitors to Belgium, whether it's to pour as a guest at one of the country's most special beer festivals, or for collaborative brews with some of its most respected breweries. My guests this evening are the founder of Allagash, Rob Todd, and brewmaster Jason Perkins. Here they talk about what has inspired them about Belgium's beer culture, and how the country has shaped their own personal story as an American brewery. Sit back, listen, and enjoy Rob and Jason of Allagash. Um, yeah, you guys come to Ghent quite a bit. Uh, you like the city? Love it. Why? Yeah, That's uh, just the whole ancient uh, character is very cool. You know, obviously we don't have any places like this in the U.S. And there's not even too many places like this in Europe. So it's kind of cool to be able to come to a place where we can enjoy all these great Belgian beers, which are obviously a big part of our culture at Allagash, and see some ancient Europe. And you, you, you do see quite a lot of other parts of Belgium as well, but you just mostly base yourself here because you, you travel to different festivals. and Yeah, we've kind of made, made, kind of made Ghent one of our kind of main headquarters if you will when we're over here but it's 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 such a vibrant city like it's not busy but it's active if you know what i mean yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot going on here but it's not i, I never feel like it's also super touristy fast, and you know. yeah yeah so and of course you, this morning you took part in that famous belgian pastime of surfing yes this is where surfing originated in belgium <laughs> right <laughs> so so first of all what, what possessed you and how did that go I'm going to let Rob field this question. I, all of a sudden, and I'm not even exactly sure why, but I just woke up one morning and decided I wanted to surf about eight months ago in Maine, um, which is not uh, the epicenter of surfing either. But I woke up one day, ordered a board, ordered a wetsuit, and was completely addicted to it. And I've been surfing all winter. And... uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, I said to Matt, who's sitting right over there, you know, we should surf when we're in Belgium. Belgium's got some coastline, right? So uh, we got, we kind of struggled to find a surf shop and finally got in touch with someone who replied to us. And we went up there today. And if you can call it that, we surfed. We were definitely his first customers of the year. I was going to yeah. say, is that a successful yeah. business that he has there? Or? Yeah. He was a pretty cool guy. 
What was his slogan? He's, he's um, oh, a smile junkie. Smile junkie, junkie yeah. yeah. Smile junkie, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm never going to make it rich, but I'm a smile junkie. So, and were you able to get up on the board on some waves? Yeah. You were, not me. I got a, a, couple, a couple quick little rides. Yeah. This is my first uh, attempt surfing. I'm not sure that the Belgian coast is the best place to learn. It, it was probably a refreshing experience after last night because you guys were at the Nacht van de Frote Dorst. Where you, you pour every two years your, your spontaneously fermented beer. So, like, how did you get involved in, in that festival initially? We had, it was kind of a little bit by good, just good fortune. The organizer of that fest, uh, Yves Peniels, was in the US and he happened to, to come by our brewery maybe about a year into our project where we were doing our spontaneous fermentation project. So, we put in a cool ship in 2007 just to kind of see if we could make spontaneously fermented beer in, in the US. Uh, and he came by maybe I mean, maybe a year, maybe two years in and saw what we were doing and tasted some of our beers and was pretty excited about what we were doing and the way we were doing it. You know, we're, we're very, we don't call it Lambic because we have tons of respect for that tradition of brewing, but we at the same time were, um, you know, we modeled our, our procedure are, are uh, around Lambic Brewing. So a very classic style, spontaneous fermentation, uh, very similar procedure. And he invited us to join. Um, this, was, this was our fourth year, fourth time uh, participating in it. It's every two years. And so that was uh, you know, back in 2010, I guess, mm -hmm. when he invited us for the first time. So, you know, just Obviously, when he, as soon as he invited us, we said absolutely we could be a part of a, a festival that's you know exclusively lambic style beer or lambic beers, not even lambic style beers. So it's a it's a it's a the night of great thirst, the Nacht von der Rote Durst, every two years in the Peltenland, and it's just featuring, as you said, lambic producers. So when when you kind of got that invite, were you, yeah, sure. I mean, our stuff's up there with these guys, or were you like, wow, this is this is big to be to be in with these like the the, the list of names. I was a little intimidated. To, to have our beer at the same fest with all these breweries that we, as Jason mentioned, just have so much respect for, like Cantillon and Bone and Dre Fontaine and Jardin. Uh, it, it was a little intimidating, but all the Belgian brewers have really welcomed us with open arms. And, you know, as Jason, members, as Jason mentioned, uh, we have a, a tremendous amount of respect for these breweries. That's why we don't put the name Lambic on our beer. We don't even use words um, like Creek and Frambois. We've just, we call our series of beers Cool Ship Beers. Um, our interpretation of a goose we call Resurgum, um, which is a Maine name, a Portland, Maine name. And uh, our interpretation of the Frambois we call Red, and our interpretation of a creek, a creek we call um, Cerise. So it, we, we just have a tremendous amount of respect for these brewers. So it, you know, it was a little intimidating having our beer at the fest for the first time, but they really welcomed us with open arms. And it's been cool to be able to go back to this fest and spend time with, I mean, last night we were hanging out with Frank Bone and his son, who's now brewing. And um, Armand from Dre Fontaine was there. It was it was, it was cool to be yeah, able to it's, it's, hang it's out a really with nice festival. Beer. It's a really nice festival, and I mean your beers are generally one of the first to sell out actually, because you know there's there's quite a bit of anticipation, and maybe we don't get to drink you know the Allagash beers that much, and you know I was tasting. You guys don't get those beers regularly over <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you guys can do something about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so you were at the the Nine of Great Thirst, and you're kind of regulars there. 
But your most recent visit actually was not so long ago uh, to Brussels. Right. And um, that was actually during the attacks, right? Yeah, on our, on our way out. Yeah, so when we, we when we were designated to leave. Area or when, when it happened? We arrived right after it happened, within a few minutes of after it happened. Oh, really? So you were you were in the sort of the middle of all that? Yeah, we took a train from Ghent actually, from here, from the train direct train from Ghent to the to the airport, and yeah. arrived uh, in the lower level there, right right after it happened, within a few minutes. And what 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 did you see at that stage? I mean, not 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 much actually. Was it I mean, more the saw, security presence? Yeah, it, oh, we yeah. we were instantly directed away from from the arrivals or from the departure hall and into kind of an open air uh, parking area, and um, so clearly yeah, clearly something was going on, but we didn't we didn't see much of the actual. Because you were then diverted to Amsterdam for getting back to the states, was it? Well, our you know our train got there, and we got off the train, and there was everyone got off the train like nothing was going on really, and we made our way about a third of the way maybe up to check in, yeah. and that's when people started coming back the other way, and and you know security I guess or directed just people away from it, yeah. work yeah working at the airport directed us up out into a parking lot and. Right when we, we, we could see broken glass windows and we quickly figured out we were not going anywhere. So we luckily ha know someone who has a car service in Brussels, who's actually the guy who brought us for surfing today. Uh, but we called him and we were able to get a couple cars that brought us to Paris and we got some flights out of Paris. So we were, we were lucky to get out. So was your mind kind of just that, okay, we just need to get out of this place and get, get sorted for getting home? Yeah, I need to figure out, yeah, you know, how to get out of here. So Jason and I, Jason talked to Serge, the driver, and I was talking to the airline, and we just quickly sorted it out and walked maybe three or so kilometers from the airport to a yeah. cafe, yeah. had beer for breakfast because it's the only thing they had <laughs> in the cafe. <laughs> and, you know, we were able to get out. Yeah. And when, when you went home... Was was the did, was the perception of what was going on back in Belgium kind of was it sort of you know this high terror alert sort of situation that stuff they were seeing on the news or you know what was what were people thinking about what was going on back in Belgium? I guess one thing that surprised me was, and I guess in hindsight it makes perfect sense, but you know the level of interest in the U.S. was was really high for you know what was happening, of course, in in Brussels, but for our kind of part in it you know we we are somewhat active on on twitter and instagram and we made comments about us being at the airport and we were on our way home and and in the rest of that day and when we got home there was tremendous amount of press around kind of us being there and, and we didn't we never really felt like the story was about us we felt like the story was about brussels and uh everything that happened to to brussels and to belgium but it was kind of i mean it kind of blew my mind how Maybe How you were interested. People were maybe you were kind of the lens for Americans to see, sort of to sort of see maybe get an insight into what had happened. Yeah, yeah. And then you, um, it's not just sort of trips to come for the festivals and stuff as well. You actually bring your employees over to Belgium um, quite often. So, is that's part of like a uh, like a reward scheme if you've been at the brewery for a certain period of time? Yeah, if you're if you have been working at the brewery for five years, you come on a trip to Belgium that Jason and I lead every year. Um, it's a blast and it's a great opportunity because really we've been, we've been since we started over 20 years ago, brewing just strictly in the Belgian tradition. 
Um, so we think it's important if someone's been at the brewery for a while to, to give them the opportunity to be able to immerse themselves in just the Belgian culture and Belgian brewing culture. So we bring employees that have been at the brewery for five years um, over to Belgium. We usually tour one or two breweries a day, and the trip is always a lot of fun. And, you know, as, as you just mentioned, we wrapped up, which that trip was a great trip, yeah, yeah. you know, till the very end. But... Um, it's always a great time. And a lot of the, we'll, we'll go back to some of the same breweries every time that we love. Uh, we go to Cantillon every single year. We go to De La Seine every year. Uh, Dodola is a lot of fun. They yeah. do the tour in English at 2 p.m. on Sundays. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, that never gets old. Every time I go on that tour, I learn a few new things. And, Chris's mom used to do the tour, um, which was great. And now Chris does the tour. But it's funny, every time, and I mentioned this to Chris when we were there, I learn a a few new things about the history of the brewery or history of the village or uh, history of Belgium during World War I. And, of course, that area was very impacted during World War I. Um, So... We, and of course, you've got the, the fantastic outfit that, that he wears as well with the decky bow and the shoes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that for, for employees, that must be um, obviously quite a, a special personal experience if, if they're into beer and they've read and learned about beer. But also it must be, it must be um, quite something for the brewery in terms of it's, it's the culture of, of the environment of people working in the brewery to have been to see the places where this beer has come from and kind of to understand the people that make the beer. And then for them to, within the company to relate to each other about their trips to Belgium. And, to, and suppose those that haven't been can look forward to it and, and kind of it's a, it's a reward for them. So it's like a, it's a sort of a corporate culture um, advantage, I suppose. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely true. And, you, and people who are at the company who have been there for two years even are already talking amongst their, cla- their class, if you will. Sure. Like the group of people who so are do you have in, in, Yeah, in three years we'll go together to Belgium and, and people start to understand like, I'm going to be in Belgium with this person, this person, and this person. And they anticipate it a lot and talk about it before and after. And yeah, it's, 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 a, and it's a great opportunity for, I mean, I, I'm sure Rob feels the same way, but for me to take a step away from the busyness of day to day and these people I work with every day, but to be able to actually hang out with them outside of a work environment, drink beers in cafes and visit breweries together and just really get, uh, some great bonding time yeah for sure and um the you spoke to me uh, i think two years ago at contestants in cantillon about a particularly inspirational trip you guys had um with a number of other american breweries who have kind of gone on to be quite famous in their own right um so tell me a little bit about that trip and, and what you guys got up to and who you were with well that was a trip that i did and it was in 2000 or it was in yeah 2006 um, and this was an idea of Sam uh, Cal Joan from Dogfish. And Sam just basically invited a few of his buddies. He wanted to do a trip to Belgium. So he invited me. He invited Adam Avery from Avery Brewing, Tommy from um, Port Abbey Brewing, Vinny from Russian River. Um, so the, the five of us, I don't think I'm forgetting anyone, right? Yeah, me, Sam, Adam, Tommy, and Vinny, yeah. So we all came over to Belgium. We stayed in this 
uh, I don't know, all this stuff's popping back in my head. I stayed in this horrendous hotel in Brussels. It was a hostel, basically. Uh, it was, I think it was like $15 a night. Uh, but we had a blast. We had this. We stayed in this hostel as kind of a base camp. And we, we focused the trip. We went with uh, Lorenzo Quasca from Italy. So uh, Quasca brought us to a number of the Lambic breweries, and it, it was amazing. It was the first time I had just been so steeped in the in the Lambic tradition. I, I'd been to Cantillon before, but I hadn't um, had so many of the Lambic beers and vi- visited so many of the breweries. Um, and that was really what inspired me and inspired us to put a cool ship in at Allagash um, and start trying our hand at making these beers. And we had also gotten to know uh, Jean Venois at Cantillon. And Jean was a huge help in us basically starting with this whole cool ship program at Allagash. And he's, he, we still give him a call every once in a while um, with just issues and challenges that we have making these beers. We, we stay in close touch That's with him. It's a good resource to have, yeah, and a good friendship to have. It is, it is. And we've learned a lot making the beers, and we're very happy with the way the beers are coming out now. Jason's done a great job making them. I've had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I mean, we're still, we're still learning, and we think we always will be, but it's been a fun project. Well, speaking of beer, we are just finishing off uh, Saison Dupont. So that, is this a beer that you guys like? Love it. Love this beer. Absolutely. We've had a bunch of it on this trip. We right? have, yeah. I mean, it's just a, you know, just a classic, classic Belgian beer. Always a go-to when I come over here, for sure. And two years ago on that trip that you mentioned, for five-year Algash employees, we visited Cezanne de Pont. Yeah. That was two years ago, right? Um, two or three. I can't remember which. But yeah, we've definitely been there before. Yeah, I met Olivier, and it's beautiful down there. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous spot. Well, let's finish this, and let's try another Belgian beer called Orval. I've never heard of it. And you can tell me if you like this one. Okay. <laughs> so let's, uh, Jason, you want to actually do the honors? And sure, be happy to. We were actually just at Orval one month ago. So on that same trip that we were, we've just been talking about, um, we visited Orval. And I've been to Orval a few times, and it, it never gets old. It's always an amazing place to see. Um, so we, we took a trip to Orval. And of course, one of the cool things about visiting Orval, you can go to the cafe and drink the Petite Orval, which what's, what else do they call it? Uh, Orval Vert, green? Yes, Orval, Orval green, green, yeah. So it's the lower ABV Uh-oh. Orval. Oh. Yeah. Perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> a perfect pour. But it's fun to, to drink at that cafe with Orval in the background and uh, drink the Petite Orval. Let's get these guys sorted out as well. Get some. Um, yeah. So now I suppose we're we're, we're talking about beer. Um, the the beer that you kind of first brewed was the Allagash White. Yes. So um, that would have been at a time as well when sort of I suppose Belgian style beers, Belgian inspired beers, wouldn't have been all that popular in America. So yeah, very few people had tried Belgian style beers back then. And it honestly was a pretty bad idea because we, I, I couldn't sell the beer for 10, 10 or 12 years. Uh, back then, very few people had tried cloudy beers. Very few people had tried beers that were fermented with Belgian yeast that, of course, have that distinctive flavor. Um, so it was just completely foreign to them. It was important to me 
if I was going to spend, I essentially just built the brewery on my own. I spent about a year building the brewery and about a year running it on my own. I figured, what's the sense in spending all this time building a brewery, running it alone, and maybe running it the rest of my life, only to make something that, that people could already get? I wanted to do something different. And I looked at the Belgian brewing tradition, and initially, uh, the white beer style is an opportunity to give a lot of people a new experience with beer that they hadn't had before. But, you know, as I mentioned, it was a uh, the first 10 or 12 years were a long, slow grind, and there was a, a long period where we had to educate people on this style of beer. I mean, sort of, you, you know, you're three or four years in, did you ever have a sort of a crisis of faith, or were you always, no, I just, I just really love this beer, and I'm, I'm going to persevere with it, because that's what I want to do? It was mostly, I really love this beer, I'm going to persevere with it, but there were a couple times where I thought that it was not going to last. Yeah. You know, a few of those times we have a lot of people who aren't going to ship you malt because you're not paying your bills or, you know, a bank that's just pulled a loan. So, so before you went into it, did you think, actually, look, this is, you know, this is a beer that's not very high in alcohol, it's quite refreshing, um, you know, this is a beer that, that could really work for sort of the American palate. Is that, or were you just thinking of the sort no, of... No, I, I... You were looking at the flavor profile that yeah. was so different. Yeah, I just wanted to do something different, and I really didn't think we'd ever sell a lot of it. But that wasn't important to me, selling a lot of it. I just wanted to make something that was different. Yeah. And, and the sort of the, the technical specs of the beer, it, it's quite classic in its uh, recipe in terms of the spices that's used, the kind of the... You know, the, the malt profile with the... I mean, do you use um, unmalted wheat or malted wheat or both? Yeah, we use both. Yeah, we use both malted and unmalted wheat. Uh, oats as well. Give uh, it a bit of creaminess. Exactly, yeah. And then, you know, coriander and curacao orange peel as well. So, yeah, it's definitely classic uh, in kind of basic formulation. Um, you know, one thing that we, we've kind of learned and I think we've been doing it a long time is it's a very difficult beer to make uh, for for <clears throat> to to, to kind of utilize all those different flavor impacts and 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 use and have them come out in balance in the end is a challenging piece um, it's you know there are definitely days where I curse Rob for starting a brewery with Allegash White being a flagship because you know from a production perspective uh, it would be a lot easier if we were making say a pale ale sure um, it, it wouldn't would be, be as delicious. Hard. Yeah, it'd be but pretty it, hard to find a beer that's as difficult to brew yeah, as a Belgian white beer. But if you if you were making a pale ale, you you wouldn't be alagash, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I only bring that up from just the yeah, the headaches that the headaches yeah. that that can be caused from making that. But uh, but I I I I'm definitely so proud of that beer and so happy to be making that beer. But it's it's a challenge. It's a challenging beer to have all those flavors there, but in balance. Any one of those, whether it's the oranges, the spices, the yeast esters, the the sweetness, if any one of those is out of balance, the beer just, the drinkability of the beer just goes away completely. Uh, is, is, I mean, you have, you guys probably have your own uh, strain, house strain, mm -hmm. um, that you use for, for a lot of your beers. And is that something that has, is quite fruity, ester forward, or do you also have like a phenolic touch to it? Or how would you describe the, the, your, your own yeast? I mean, I would say it's more on the fruity side, but it's got some kind of spicy clove characteristic to it as well. That the the, me, the main yeast we use, I would not call phenolic really. Okay. There's a couple other strains that we use. I mean, we use in a given year, maybe as many as ten or fifteen different yeast strains in a given year. 
with all the different beers we make. But the house strain, the one we use most often, is more of a spicy, fruity ester profile. And is that something that you've picked up on your travels, or is it something that you've kind of um, you've got from somewhere and developed it sort of in house yourself? Yeah, there's there aren't too many secrets at Allagash, but we we keep a couple uh, secrets just to just to keep some mystery. And it's the origin of our house yeast and the secret spice in the white beer, so which I sometimes say I'll spill the beans if I've had enough to drink. And I think <laughs> we're definitely getting never to that point right now. now never on microphone. Never yeah, on anyway. microphone. Yeah. Um, but you know the yeast. It's interesting because. The yeast, like most yeasts do, but I think this yeast that we use especially, it expresses itself much differently depending on the raw materials that you use, the temperature that you ferment it out, the yeast cell count on pitching rate. So we're very, very methodical with beers that we need repeatability with to make sure the yeast has the same nutrient profile, the same uh, fermentation profile with temperature, uh, the same yeast cell count on pitching rate during fermentation. So we look at all those things very carefully during fermentation yeah. because if those things vary, the character of the beer is going to change. For sure. So it can present itself very differently depending on absolutely. what beer you're, you're giving it yeah, to. Absolutely. And we have some beers with our house yeast that we ferment under 16 Fahrenheit, and we have some with the same yeast we ferment, you know, yeah, yeah, well into the 70s. But you've seen the importance of that so much that you now have a lab as well, so you can keep a handle on your propagation and make sure that every everything you're giving is healthy and also consistent in terms of what it's going to deliver and for flavor and for fermentation. We have four full-time people. All they do is laboratory work. So they do microbiology work. They do sensory work. So they're, and of course, it's everyone's job in production to focus on quality, but we have four full-time people that all they do is work on quality in the lab. Sure. And when you say it's flagship, um, is that in terms of um, how it's linked to your identity or in terms of the amount of production, your, your full sort of capacity production? It's, it's both. It's, you know, how much of it we brew. Um, it's what we're identified with, and it just happens to be my favorite beer on the planet. <laughs> I love drinking it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's basically, it's almost all I drink when I'm in Portland. Okay. So so Portland, that's, that's, a, that's a nice segue. Um, that's another thing that strikes me, without having visited the brewery, is that you guys are very connected to your local area, to the state of Maine, to Portland itself. Um, it's a very beautiful place. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, about where you guys are living. I mean, Portland's a great town. I mean, it's right, right. It's you know on the southern part of of Maine. I mean, Maine's a big state. The majority of the population is kind of down toward the southern section and really the southern coastal section. And so we're down, you know, in that area. Um, but it's it's a you know an old port city, as the name suggests, and it's got some of that old history there, at least as far as uh, U.S. history is concerned. It's not anywhere near as old as what, what's over here in Europe, but, uh, you know, it's got a lot of history to the city. It's still very much like a working waterfront. You know, there's still a lot of active fishing community down there. But really in the last 10 years especially, there's been a remarkable uh, kind of growth of, of restaurant, uh, food scene, uh, beer scene. It's, it's really remarkable. I mean, for a city of our size, we're, 
you know, I don't know, 100,000 people, something like that. So it's still a very fairly small U.S. city. Um, the the quality of, of food and, and beverage is is really remarkable, and we're very, very spoiled there. So it's a beautiful place to live and beautiful coastline, um, beautiful, um, you know, uh, ocean coast, but also lakes and, and streams and rivers and mountains on the inland. Um, but, you know, we've got that, plus we've got just spoiled with it. For me, I always look at Portland as we have everything that I love about a city and nothing that I don't love about a city. I'm, I'm kind of a small town person myself. So uh, it's, it's just, we're, we're spoiled. We've got music, we've got food, we've got beer, we've got- And then um, quite close to the city, there's, there's a lot of outdoor activities as well. Absolutely. Like surfing. Yeah, like surfing. Yeah. It always has to get back to surfing <laughs> like these days. But yeah, I mean, like Jason's, yeah, it, it's amazing how much is going on there. And there are tons of cool breweries opening up. There are uh, four breweries just within very close walking distance from Allagash. And uh, it's just, it's such a vibrant beer scene. It's amazing. It's a ton of fun. And People used to come to Maine for lobster climbing, uh, vacationing on the coast. Now people are coming to Maine for the beer. There are definitely a lot of tourists who just come to spend time visiting breweries. And just in our little, I guess it's technically an industrial park, even though it doesn't feel like it because it's almost more wooded than it is an industrial park. There are, is you know, as I mentioned, including Allagash, there are five breweries to visit. I'll, I'll sometimes show up and there are people that'll spread a picnic blanket out on the grass yeah. and have a you know have a picnic between visiting the breweries. Yeah. So there's just this really cool beer culture. Do you have a good relationship with these guys as well. A great relationship, yeah, and you know you mentioned quality too. Um, we we have a, a very robust lab with four full time employees. We're about to add a fifth, and there are a lot of pieces of equipment that we have that some of the smaller brewers can't yet afford. Sure. I, I know we sure couldn't afford them when we were small. So we're more than happy to help them with analysis that they need um, if they've got some kind of an issue. They're they're. You know, they know that they can come to us and we can run it through their lab and hopefully help them with quality because, you know, we know we're all better off if we're all doing better with quality. And have you seen any of those other breweries take an interest in sort of the, the beer culture in Belgium? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think generally speaking, Belgian beer culture, whether every American craft brewery would admit it or not, has a pretty strong influence on, on uh, you know, the, what the American craft beer scene has done. I mean, I think one of the big cornerstones of kind of the history and uh, kind of passion around Belgian brewing, it's always hard to kind of pinhole how to describe it, but kind of innovation, uh, brewing beers outside of style, brewing, you know, there's so many breweries over here that have have a beer that doesn't fit. It's not a pale ale, it's not a stout, it's not a triple, it's just their beer. Yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, almost every brewery in the US, whether they admit it or not, has some influence from from Belgian style brewing in that regard. I think it's one of the things that's really driven the success of craft brewing culture is new innovative flavors and so on. Specifically, there's certainly breweries in our region, you know, Oxbow Brewing comes to mind as a brewery that's not too far from us that has a lot of, uh, you know, passion and ties directly, but, I think, I mean, I guess I would say almost every brewery in the state has some some indirect connection to 
the kind of passion and innovative nature of, of Belgian style brewing. And, but you, you, you guys have also taken quite a conscious decision to, um, to you know, the link to your uh, locality in terms of the ingredients that you use, in terms of some of the, I suppose, organizations or charities that you guys support. So you, I know you have, is it a tribute series? We do. Uh, which you do sort of every yeah. year. You also use ingredients. At the There's a beer coming out now called 16 Counties, which Correct. is yeah. um, a beer featuring local malt. So locally grown barley, barley from a local maltster. Mm-hmm. So, and then you, you also kind of do, I think, one-off charity events and things like that, specifically where people in the, in the community will benefit. So that's ob- obviously something you've decided to do to give back to the community and in a, in a place you obviously admire or respect or want to be a part of. Yeah, community has always been very, very important to us. And when I was initially trying to think of a name for the brewery, I wanted to come up with a name that really resonated with Mainers because I knew that the beer would be made by Mainers. I figured we'd only be selling the beer in Maine, even though now we've made our way into 17 states. But I knew that regardless of even how many states we went in, we went into, that our survival would be dependent on the support of the community. And the community has been very supportive of us. Um, and really for the first 10 years, we weren't able to give back to the community because we really weren't um, making any money. Um, but for the last 10 years or so, we've been, we've been lucky enough to be profitable. And um, last year in 2015, we gave just over three hundred thousand dollars back to the local Maine community. You know, yeah, mostly Portland area, but really throughout the state of Maine. And you mentioned sixteen counties. We're very, very excited about this beer. This beer, all the cereal grains, um, the malted barley. Um, was grown and malted in Maine. We bought wheat that was grown in Maine, and we bought organic oats uh, that were grown in Maine. So all of the cereal grains, all the fermentable grains were grown in Maine. And we are also donating proceeds of the sale of this beer um, to the Maine community. Yeah. I mean, and you also you also have some quite innovative uses of fruit in, in some of your beers. And and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but that fruit also comes from local producers sometimes. And it's kind of, you, you have a sort of a connection with the people that grow that fruit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been using fruit from from Maine probably not quite 10 years, but about that. Uh, and and we kind of made a conscious decision years ago to, for any beer that we're using fruit in, we're using only fresh, local and local to us mostly means Maine. Occasionally we get into New Hampshire, which is just very close across the border. But it's always lo- you know, local and fresh. And I, I'm a firm believer with those beers to be able to really capture that real vibrant uh, fruit character. Fresh fruit is, is really important for that. So we're getting fruit from these farmers within like they're going in the beer within hours of being picked basically. And so we're able to have those farmers keep, because we have this great relationship with them and we have for a long time, they know we want super ripe fruit and you know, not the kind of fruit you buy in a grocery store kind of thing, right? So you have super ripe fruit that is almost to the point where the birds are gonna eat it right off the tree. Yeah. It's, you know, it's perfect condition and we get that and immediately add it, add it, add it to the beer. And I think it comes through in the beer for sure. But there, like you mentioned, there's that, kind of great side benefit of we've developed relationships with these farmers for years now and we're we're you know we're a significant kind of customer if you will for them uh you know we have one farmer we buy all our cherries from 
And when we started buying cherries from them, they had a couple cherry trees, literally, and we'd take every single one they bought. Sure. We still take everything they grow, yeah. but they've since put in several trees each year. And we, they, you know, we've developed a great relationship with them. They actually do some other work for us with some other products in, the, in their off season. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about is having these interactions with these local farmers. We've done it for a while with fruit, and as Rob mentioned, with 16 counties. For the first time, we really have people in Maine growing and processing brewing quality grains. It wasn't that they, what, that we could have done it before and we just didn't. It literally wasn't available up until just recently. So um, it's actually, as a as the brewer, I, it was one of the, my favorite things to do is to interact with those farmers and, and hear how things are going for them and hear them just say legitimately how, how important we are to them yeah. uh, for them to continue to, to grow. And f- for a brewer, that's great. It's really on the ground. You're talking uh, you know, at the most sort of base level about your ingredients that you're going to be using in your beer. Um, in, in one of the, you know, I was just thinking, and Matt and I went up there, and you've, you've been up there a couple times, Jason, yeah. um, at Buck Farms. They're, they're potato farmers, they're, but they're growing this malting quality barley as well, and they're malting the grain. And I just went up there about, what was it, six weeks ago or so, eight yeah. weeks ago? Yeah, and it was it was pretty cool because they actually had, um, they, they just had uh barley malt that had come out of the what steeping tank mm-hmm. that they had spread out on the floor that was germinating mm-hmm. and i was able to take a rake and basically drag it through the floor malt it was pretty cool dragging a, a, a rake through the floor malt and that same floor malt is is malt that we're going to be using in the 16 counties so it's it's cool to have that close a connection to the raw materials in the beer Absolutely. And we'll get all that uh, big distribution market in Belgium here for six Oh, abs- absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can get it at Del Hayes, right? Get the Allagash White four packs in the 16 counties. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier as well about the cool ship. And um, I mean, there are a lot of people making kind of um, beers with a sour base taste in America right now. Um, not as many making spontaneously fermented beers. And certainly not with the, the sort of techniques, you know, with the cool ship, essentially. When, you know, when did that idea sort of come about? And how did you go about sort of getting that project up on its, up on its feet? I mean, it was inspired by the trip, sort of. It was inspired by the trip. And literally, I just, like, I remember it like it was yesterday. I just woke up one morning and, you know, really after, after the trip, well, I'll even back up a little more. Of course, brewers everywhere in the world are intimidated making these beers if they also make other beers with pure cultures because we're dealing with in, in spontaneous beers all kinds of organisms that brewers usually try to avoid. Even though I was so inspired by the Lambic brewing culture, I was intimidated to make these beers. But I just woke up one day and said, you know, let's let's do this. Let's take the plunge. Let's do it. And we called the local fabricator. We had a cool ship made. Uh, Jason got in touch with uh, Jean at Cantillon, and we started bouncing ideas back and forth. And really, I, th- I think we decided to do it maybe in August or September. And by that December, we were, we were brewing spontaneously fermented beers. And... You know, of, of course, we've just been learning a ton 
um, making these beers, but it's it's been a ton of fun. And we've got a, a really a completely separate facility now where we ferment these beers and age them and package them. So it gives us a comfort level from a QC perspective um, that all of the um, microbes that we need to make these spontaneous beers aren't going to make their way over to our, our primary facility. And we, of course, don't use, you know, a- anything that's over in our, you know, funky beer facility where we're doing beers with wild yeast and bacteria and spontaneous beers, any pumps, fittings, hoses, none of those ever go from that facility over to our, over to our main facility. We're pretty careful about that. And I'll just add, too, on the cool ship from kind of my my perspective, if you will, you know, f- for us, as Rob mentioned earlier, you know, Allagash kind of from the get-go has been doing kind of innovative beers. So even when, you know, it's hard, now white is very much around and people see it around, but you go back in time, like Rob mentioned earlier, like that was a very innovative beer. And so, you know, we were always kind of thinking about new and different ways to to experiment and, and try new things. And we had dabbled in some, you know, wild fermentation stuff before the cool ship project. And I think we'd even casually talked about, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do a spontaneous fermentation? But honestly, in my head, I was like, this has never happened because you can't, in my mind, you couldn't just take a bucket of wort and stick it in a parking lot and say, is this going to work? This is our experiment. The experiment had to be a building, a cool ship, a structure, and that's a big investment for for what? For for nothing, for not knowing anything what it is. So I remember the day that Rob's talking about where he basically came in and said, uh, I think, you know, something like, fuck it, let's build a cool yeah, ship. That is what I, said. I was like, are you sure? Did you, you, know, you kind of high five him or did you go? No, oh, I was incredibly time. excited. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, as the owner, I mean, he deserves all the credit for being willing to take a huge chance. I mean, we started that project in 07. I mean, we were trying the beers early on, but it wasn't, it probably wasn't until really, truthfully, probably 2010, 2009 maybe, before we started to be like, okay, we, we actually got something here. So to think about a company at that point that was growing, that had a lot of challenges already for capital investments and you know all the challenges of running a business that's growing, and for Rob to be willing to put in this total experimental room for for who knows what it could be all for have been for nothing uh was pretty is pretty awesome i mean that's that's kind of you know aside from the risk of infection to your main facility or your, your sort of core beers um that sort of investment in the new cool ship, the space, but as, as well in time. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you don't know if it's going to work. And we knew we, that we wouldn't know if it was going to work right. for two to three years. You can't just put it in the cool ship, whip it out, and then have a, have a spontaneously fermented beer. You also need to invest not only in time in wood, but also in blending experience, you know, to, to make sure that the product coming out is balanced and that the, has got the right flavor profile that you want. That's something that's big, Jason big is really good at. Really, I, I don't get that involved in that. Jason does it, and he does a great job with it. And especially some of the beers, like the Resurgum, that really, well, they all hinge on blending, but Resurgum really hinges on blending. Like, you've really been able to figure that uh, blending out and balance out. I mean, we're still figuring it out for sure. I mean, I do feel like that beer in particular has gotten better each time we've done it. Uh, and I think it's just, it's trial and error. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the breweries that Rob mentioned earlier that we have so much respect for are generations of experience with blending and with their process. And we're, yeah. we're so young yeah. in, that, in that 
respect and um it's been fun but i feel like every time we do a blending experience we learn something else and we're able to to keep yeah. making it better every year i had that beer last night um at the the not fun the dust and it's uh yeah, it's, it's a really great beer. It's, it's really, really dry. You've got that nice citric sort of lemony uh, quality to it. And um, yeah, it was really soft, lactose soreness, but it's, uh, I mean, do, do you, how, how well do you know what's in your beer? You, you talked about having a lab. I mean, are you able to say in terms of your, your sort of lactobacillus, your pedococcus, your bethanomyces, and what's going on in there? Do you have a fairly good handle on it or is it kind of more romantic and sort of, mysterious that the, the way people some people see these types of beers it's honestly a little bit of both because from from our perspective at the brewery it's mostly um experience and flavor driven like you know all of our blending is really driven by i mean certainly we look at some analytics like uh density of of the beer and ph of the beer um but for the most part the decisions that are made when we choose to blend is driven 100 percent on flavor um, that being said, we've, we do have a very extensive lab, but to do full, um, you know, typing, if you will, of, of, of the specific type of bacteria or yeast that's in a beer, that's the kind of capability that, you know, really any brewery, even two, three times or four times or size doesn't have the capability to do. But we did have a, a good fortune of having a University of California Davis student who did uh, his master's thesis on our beer. And so it was basically free information for us. All we had to do was send him samples from several batches. And this was several years ago. Um, so we, from that study, we can really kind of see the real uh, progression of microflora through the process, throughout the fermentation process, which is, was pretty neat to see. Cause you know, we can certainly say, obviously we know we're getting uh, consumption of sugars in this uh, stage. We're getting acidification in this stage. We're getting, um, Britannomyces character in this stage, there's a lot you can tell from experience and flavor and aroma, but to see it see truthfully done yeah. with DNA analysis is pretty pretty spectacular. And then you can then compare that for kind of academic purposes, I guess you could say, with what some studies that have been done here in Belgium, a very recent one done at Cantillon just uh, about a year and a half ago, and then another one from the 80s on uh, lambic production in, in, in Belgium. But yeah, it's interesting to see that the, the the progression is pretty similar, actually. And I mean, what's what's your opinion when you see sort of younger or smaller breweries, or not even younger or smaller, in America um, going to, to try to make Lambic beers and, you know, the, the, the way that people are sort of approaching achieving sour flavors and stuff like that? Because um, some of them maybe don't invest as much time. Um, do, do you see that as that's just another way of making beer? Or do you see it as sort of something that could have an impact on sour beers in terms of how they're perceived in the market? I mean, I think your question too was probably just in other techniques that are being made to make wild beers as well. And there's, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, wild beer work being done in the U S and I think a lot of it's pretty exciting and there's, there's a big demand for it. Um, I guess if there was one thing that maybe I'd be concerned with is this kind of direction of, 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 people seeking sour beer for sour beer and, 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 and nothing else. And I, I worry a little bit that that ends up becoming what people are looking for in a beer instead of a flavor component of the beer. And, and we certainly make beers that have acidity to them and have sourness to them. And there are some that we can even call a sour beer. You know, we have a beer that we make with peaches called Farm to Face. It's very much 
peaches and sour. That, that's very much the defining character of, characteristic of the beer. But uh, I worry a little bit that there are consumers out there just looking for sour. Like, give me the sourest thing you can find. But there's also a little bit of a reflection of, of America's maybe immature in that segment, but it'll come. I hope so. I, I do hope so. And I just hope it doesn't come into a, a kind of a race of who can make the sourest beer out there. And for me, sourness in a beer is an incredible tool to, to give a great flavor profile, but it's not, it's not a defining character in and of itself. It's a piece of, of kind of the flavor profile. So... But I, I mean, I'm really also at the same time super excited and have had some fantastic beers mm -hmm. from from many of the small new absolutely. beers. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with what Jason just said. And really, the 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 trick to making a balanced kind of gentle sour beer is is making sure you under you know you understand the process and understand the effects of oxygen and understand the effects of time and temperature. And you know you you have to be you have to make these beers like delicately and with a lot of finesse and with experience. Okay, so I think we should move on to another beer um, before we finish up. Um, so if you could grab a few of those de la Seine um, and it'll give us a good opportunity to finish up by talking about um, the collaborations that you guys have done with with, with de la Seine. Um, some <coughs> glasses here, maybe. We were just um, with we were Yvonne just, last night. And we were just drinking this beer earlier. We were just drinking it like two hours ago, yeah. three hours ago. This is, this is one of our favorite breweries, Yellow Sun. You were talking to Yvonne last night. You met up with him at the, the festival. Yes. So how'd that go? It went great. It's always great to see Yvonne. He's, he's a really good guy. How did you meet uh, the guys from De La Seine? I don't even remember. I don't remember either. I mean, it feels like it's been, it's been a long, long time. I know Yvonne, I, I mean, we definitely met him well before he opened his brewery in Brussels. I mean, he was brewing at Duranka. Duranka. Yeah. Um, and we met him. I think we might have met him through Jean because I know he, he did some work at Cantillon years ago. That's right. So that's, that's when I that's, first that's met him, when he was him. working at Cantillon. Um, but it, Yvonne, and actually Bernard also is, we don't see Bernard as much. But Yvonne's uh, kind of more the guy who's out and about. But Yvonne uh, and Bernard have, have been good friends for a while and absolutely love their beers. And they do a fantastic job. Yeah, we've seen that brewery being built really from scratch because yeah. the first time I went and visited their new facility um, where, where it is right now, it's in Molenbeek, right? Yeah. Um, so the first time I, I saw it, it it was completely undeveloped. He hadn't done anything. It was just an empty yeah. space, yeah. basically. And he was... Like an airplane hangar, it looked like. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was an old bakery that uh, the city of Brussels owns. And um, he was explaining where everything was going to go. And it's been really cool to... I think we've probably been there almost every six or eight months yeah. since he started there. So it's been really cool to, to visit. We were actually originally supposed to do the fir very first brew on that, at that brewery. That's right. Uh, and we were over here for one of our trips. And uh, that, as always is the case when you're opening a new brewery, uh, he had a few challenges that slowed down the, the ability for him to run that equipment. So... But the, the collaboration we did with him was maybe three months later. Very so it was right, right from the beginning? Yeah, really early on. And based on just the, the sort of the friendship that you guys yeah. had, 
and then it was like yeah we'll, we'll come over and we'll brew with you guys in belgium exactly yeah. yeah so what was that beer that was a I beer i have no recollection <laughs> <laughs> you probably remember. i do remember i do remember very well uh it was called very special belge so it was um you know yvonne as you know probably is just Beer historian, a, a beer historian, like unbelievable amount of knowledge of of, of and I, I will come nowhere near to describing it as well as he can. But um, basically, uh, very special Belgian, special Belgian was a style of beer that kind of was around for a little while, but then went away. But um, you know, uh, some bitterness back when bitterness was more acceptable. Hopefully, these guys are bringing that back a little bit with their beers. Um, and so he wanted to do something in that style. The very special part was that it had American hops. So we took kind of a more classic style of slightly more bitter uh, pale ale of sorts uh, with some little bit of caramel malt. And then we brought over some um, US hops. Centennial for sure. I feel like maybe there was some Cascade in there as well. But nugget I, maybe? Maybe Nugget and Centennial might have been it. Your memory's better than mine. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was a style that was kind of. Uh, where they were trying to overcome sort of the, the influx of, of the German sort of Pilsner beers in the early 1900s. And um, yeah, it was kind of like, a, I suppose, like a Belgian pale ale type of beer with, with as you said, sort of more pronounced bitterness to it. But um, the, yeah, I mean, and, and like they did a return, you did a return leg kind of in. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. was that? We, yeah, we did it again at our place. Yeah, it was fun. It was on, honestly just an excuse to get Yvonne to come and brew with us. I mean, for us, honestly, we've, we don't do a lot of collaboration brews, but we've, we've done a, a handful of them. And it's always, it's never really for commercial purposes. I mean, we certainly sell the beer in the end, but it's always about friends and spending time together and learning from each other and drinking beers together. And so, you know, we basically do collaborations with people that we enjoy drinking beers with. Yeah. <laughs> basically is the main criteria. Pretty much it. And I mean, yeah. I mean, you obviously have quite a few friends now um, in Belgium in terms of, you know, breweries and then the brewing scene and people you have met. Uh, are there anyone else, is there anyone else that you'd like to do a collaboration with or just hang out with for, for, for a while? I mean... Yeah. Uh, we, we have so... Everyone's been, like, so welcoming for us over here. We, we just visited a brewery yesterday that we've never seen before, Omer. And yeah, that was a that was a real cool brewery to see. And we tried a bunch of their beers from the Foders, which was fun. Um, we I love drinking their their Pilsner beer that they do, the Bacor. Um, but I mean, we're constantly just meeting new people over here, and you know we're we're always open to doing collaborations with people. Totally, cool. Okay, um, I suppose the last thing I'm going to ask you is. Uh, do you guys like love what you do? I hate it. I mean, I have to come to fucking Belgium <laughs> a couple times a year. <laughs> Go to the Night of the Great Thirst and drink all day. And, you know. <laughs> as, as, as difficult as this has been for you, um, yeah. I just uh, just want to say thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting to me and cheers. I hope to see you next time in Belgium. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.